This is Take a Leaf with Green Writers Press. I'm Heather McCabe, and this week we're taking a leaf out of Vermont author, former Governor Madeline Cunin's book, Coming of Age, My Journey to the 80s. 25 years ago, Madeline Cunin became the first woman to be elected governor of Vermont. She was U.S. Ambassador to Switzerland and U.S. Deputy Secretary of Education. This is her personal story. Many readers are already familiar with Madeline Cunin, the former three-term governor of Vermont who served as the Deputy Secretary of Education and Ambassador to Switzerland under President Bill Clinton. In her newest book, a memoir entitled Coming of Age, My Journey to the 80s, the topic is aging, but she looks well beyond the physical tolls and explores the emotional ones as well. And she has had an extraordinary life, governor, ambassador, feminist, wife, mother, professor, poet, and much, much more. Well, hi, Governor, how are you? Well, I'm fine. uh, it's nice to uh, sit here and think about the book and, and do this podcast. Well, thank you so much for joining us and sharing whatever wisdom you have today. Thank you. I want to start off by saying that I love the book, and I read a lot of memoir, um, and I think often it's hard to break out of the mold, and I was really impressed by your inclusion of the poetry, but also the way you reflect, and you don't necessarily move chronologically, which I think is kind of nice. Right. I was just thinking about, you know, this stage of life Mm -hmm. uh, in the 80s and uh, trying to express how I'm changing and how I suspect other people in my age group are changing and you try to make sense of this new world you find yourself in. Absolutely. Before we jump right in, do you think you could give a little bit of context for maybe what you do or what you did or what you feel is the most important that people know about you before they read the book? Well, surprisingly, I'm a pretty private person, though here I am spilling out (laughs) my soul uh, in this memoir and um, having led a political life where you're obviously very visible. But uh, I found politics fascinating. Uh, Of course, there's some dark sides to it, and there are times when you're not happy with the way things are going. But on the whole, uh, running for office and being in office was um, a very good experience and fascinating uh, from an intellectual point of view, which people don't usually associate mm-hmm. with politics, but you learn a great deal, and you learn a great deal about people um, and how to relate to them and what their concerns are. So it really broadens your horizon. But uh, I've taught and I've written poetry um, in bits and pieces a lot of my life. But for the last several years, it's been more of a focus. Um, And I seem to be in a way liberated by old age, which again is a concept most people wouldn't think of. But I admit I've been fortunate. I have good health and uh, I'm financially uh, independent, and I had uh, a wonderful marriage late in life. So I've had a good journey into old age, Mm -hmm. but uh, there are also drawbacks, obviously. So I've tried to describe both the um, hard things that happen to you Mm -hmm. uh, as you go into the 80s, but also you know, the thrill of family and friends, and you can still explore new ideas, uh, assuming you're physically fit. 
Um, so I guess, I, as I said, I am fortunate, but I just felt free that I could say things and write things that I couldn't before as a, as a quote-unquote politician. And that's been, that's been a, a whole new worldview. Yeah, I think there's a part at the end of the memoir where you talk about kind of political dress and how you have to make sure that you're appearing proper. Um, and at one point, I think you're answering a question from an audience member. Yeah. You say that now you don't have to worry about that. Right. That part of the kind of liberating feeling that you have. It was. It was. Now I'm still always the same person, Madeline Kuhn, the former governor, the former ambassador. So mm -hmm. it isn't like I, I eliminate all consciousness of, of how I look or how I dress, but mm -hmm. it's much more free. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't have to worry whether my stockings are neutral or gray <laughs> or black. Uh, those little things that people judge you by, mm -hmm. and uh, I enjoy that. Yeah, I enjoyed reading about that just as someone who's, you know, I'm only starting to think about a career, and I think so often women are forced to think about how they look more than maybe is relevant to the actual job that they were meant to do. Yeah, yeah, I mean, men have it easier. There's much more of a accepted uniform. Uh, yeah. Though all that is beginning to change. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of women are running for office this year, more than ever before. And they're, they're not in cookie-cutter navy blue suits with white blouse and low mm -hmm. heels and and you know, um, there used to be, there was a book, Dress for Success, mm -hmm. when I was first getting involved, and that had the formula, and you were told to stick to it. Um, I think there's still some of that, but not at all in the way it was. Yeah. So you mentioned that you're quite a private person. I'm wondering what kind of sparked the inspiration then to write a memoir. Well, the first memoir I wrote was about how I, how I decided to run for office and how it felt to be in office. I wanted to tell my story uh, to be a, a model for others, because mm -hmm. ever since I was first elected to the Vermont legislature, I, uh, I wanted to encourage more women to run for office. And you know, there are more coming of age sort of books about, about written by men and about men, mm -hmm. you know, how the journey to maturity and success took place. And uh, I recognize that there are many fewer such stories uh, for women. And if we're going to develop more women leaders, uh, we have to have them out in the open because you can only be what you can see. Uh, and that's why I think it's so important for women role models to talk about their, their life span and, and what the obstacles were and what the positive areas were and, and how to get there. And we're all going to be somewhat different, just like men are different. You can't expect all women to follow one model. Mm -hmm. But uh, the books I've written, like uh, Living a Political Life, that's the most personal, except for the book I've just 
going to have come out in October, but th that was a very personal story too. And uh, the others were, um, you know, Pearl's Politics and Power, How to Win and Lead, where I interviewed other women, mm. uh, more contemporary women, about their, their ascent into leadership. And then the last book was The New Feminist Agenda, uh, and that was mostly um, a uh, exploration of women's issues, which aren't exclusively women, of course. But how do we how do we get some of the change we want, um, like uh, affordable childcare, mm -hmm. uh, like paid leave and and paid sick days? And we we've been working on that in Vermont and had some success. Um, but uh, so that was a book to see how this change happened, mm -hmm. especially as the United States is so far behind other countries. There's just an example up the road of peace in Canada. Yeah. You get a year of uh, paid maternity leave, and we're lucky if you can get three weeks. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a, a different attitude. Uh, towards women and children, and the good news is I'm seeing some of that change now. Uh, people are really talking about it more than ever before. We still have a long way to go, but I think the more women we have in elective office, the more likely we will move forward because it's a gut issue for women. You know, mm -hmm. if you can't get a babysitter, uh, you can't go out of the house. So yeah. it's as basic as that. And the whole thing of combining family and work, um, you need to have uh, paid sick days uh, to make that possible. So I guess all my writing have been in a way feminist, in a way family oriented, mm -hmm. and in a way uh, politically oriented, uh, because that's that's where it happens in the political arena. Definitely, politics start at home in many cases, I think. Right. When you were thinking about writing the memoir, I know in the book you talk about reading Edgar's memoir. Did that impact how you yourself chose to structure your own book? Not, not really. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I guess I, I wanted to explore things in depth mm -hmm. um, and as, as much as I could, you know, you still you still obviously hold some things in reserve, um, but I admire his writing, and he, he was a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, mm -hmm. and uh, but we were very close, um, you know, because when I was growing up, there were just three of us, my mother, my brother, and me, yeah. and uh, so I, I wanted to pay attention to him, um, but I also had some complicated feelings about him, which I think come across. Mm -hmm. um, but we were very close in our ideas, our values, our discussions, and, um, and he was, you know, my go-to person for advice. Yeah, I think that does come across in the book. It seems like you guys had so many different common interests, and... I think serving in the legislature together must have been interesting. Is that yeah. 
a whole family affair for you guys? Yeah, it worked. I don't know. I don't think I wrote this in this. Maybe I did write it in this book, but he uh, he didn't like the idea that he was seen as following me. <laughs> you, know, you vote according. You do a roll call vote according to the alphabet. Yeah. So Cunin uh, came before May, and uh, somebody commented to him, um, "You're voting with your sister again," and <laughs> that, that upset him. So one day he asked the clerk to call the roll backwards, and it confused everybody. Nobody knew when, which way they were supposed to vote because they're used to following a certain order, and uh, I got a big kick out of that. <laughs> I bet. I can't imagine serving in anything with my little brother. <laughs> I imagine that it would be a great bonding experience, but also complicated. Mm. Do you think you guys got closer from having that shared experience, or were you just always close? A little closer, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. We, we did, yes. So, I don't really know. When you write a memoir, you're thinking, I think obviously, a lot about the past. Um, but throughout the book, you seem to have a really keen eye toward the future. Um, both your own future and kind of the future of the world at large. And I'm wondering how kind of your idea of the future has changed as you've gotten older. Well, it depends. You know, the present political climate is so turbulent mm -hmm. and in many ways so negative and even frightening so that I, I think you have to have a certain amount of optimism mm -hmm. to be involved in politics. I mean, even if you don't like things as they are, you still have to nurture that hope that they can change. And um, I think that has stayed with me, no matter how rough the waters are mm -hmm. um, in, in politics. Uh, you just have to believe that, or else you, you give up yeah. and stay home and knit. But uh, um, I don't know. I still, I still have faith in the system mm -hmm. writ large. You know. Yeah. I mean, the fact that so many young people are energized now, and I hope they hold on to that energy and and vote in the next election. But and then the the fact that the, so many new people, not just women but men as well, mm -hmm. who are jumping into the fray, um, who never did before, but the vote, the political, generic political system is really the strongest way, the most clear way, the yes and no way to make change. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what we're losing in terms of, in terms of decency, uh, I think we're gaining in terms of the kind of energy that says, I'm not going to just sit back and take things uh, as they are. I'm going to be in, into the battlefield and, and do what I can do for myself and for the country. Yeah. Now, John McCain's recent death mm -hmm. um, is a reminder of how important participation is 
Um, and, you know, I didn't agree with John McCain on everything, of course, uh, but his sense of decency and mm -hmm. his patriotism. Um, you know, I heard, I watched a documentary last night about his life. So that's just fundamental. Uh, and it was ingrained in, in his whole character. Um, and I think that's the biggest loss, with the mm -hmm. loss of John McCain, that we don't have those kinds of, of senators or representatives anymore. I mean, Ted Kennedy was another one who, mm -hmm. and John Kennedy, of course, could, could pull you out of your seat and make you stand up and say, I'm in. Yeah. Uh, so I hope this new generation mm -hmm. of politicians, of office holders, uh, will feel that and will hold on to that feeling mm -hmm. even when things are tough. Do you think the sense of optimism that you've carried throughout your life is something that you've always had or is it a unique quality that people who've been in politics for a long time kind of acquire? And how do people like me who aren't in politics also hold on to that optimism? I guess it's hard to describe. I, um, I think at some point uh, I wrote earlier uh, the fact that I came to this country as an immigrant uh, with my mother and brother um, at the outbreak of World War II, and that this country gave us so much. It's the old-fashioned American dream. Um, I was privileged to live it and to believe in it, uh, which is so hard today because the dream has become a little tarnished mm -hmm. and uh, we're not as welcoming as we were in 1940 uh, when we came to this country. So I think that has given me a certain optimism, a certain faith in the system. Um, you know, we were obviously more privileged than many immigrants today who come from Latin America and Asia, and we came from Europe. Um, and we came because of the threat of the Holocaust. Um, but the fact that uh, this country was welcoming, that I could become a citizen, that I could run for office, I mean, something you, very few countries permit you to do. Yeah. Was having come as an immigrant from Switzerland, was it kind of a great honor then to go back and serve as ambassador to Switzerland? Yes, yes, it was. It was, it was sort of, my life came full circle. Yeah. You know, leaving in 1940 and coming back as, a, as an ambassador was, um, was quite wonderful. And uh, I ha still had cousins in, in Zurich and, and there. And uh, it, uh, it was certainly the farthest thing from my mother's dreams and from my dreams that that mm -hmm. would ever happen. I mean, yeah. it wasn't like it was a plan. It was a total serendipity that, that I ended up in that place. Yeah. I love the sense of serendipity throughout the book. A lot of your comments seem to be like, isn't it wonderful that this has happened at all? And do you feel a kind of great sense of pride that so, so many things have worked out so well? Or just this great sense of hope? Because yeah. I do think it's a very hopeful memoir. Oh, good, good. Um, yeah, 
I, I, I don't know if pride's the right word, but mm-hmm. it's almost happiness that, yeah. that uh, uh, I had these opportunities. And, you know, I'm not the typical politician starting out with being born, and I, I wasn't destined for this, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, my grandfather um, ran for office in Zurich, but he never got elected. He was running on a, I guess, far out party, more liberal party. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not following family footsteps. I'm, I'm making new footsteps. And uh, also, uh, I, I'm not a rich person, which unfortunately seems to be a criteria uh, mm-hmm. for running for office in so many places. But I think we're living in a time where all the established ideas of who should run and how they should run is changing. Um, you know, the woman from New York state, Alexandra mm-hmm. um, Cortez, um, she broke all the molds. Um, now that can't happen everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she, her district had changed, but her life experience matched the needs and the, and the character of her district. Mm-hmm. Um, and she established good politician. He wasn't a Trump typer, uh, but she had the excitement and the energy to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other districts, that might not work, but even as we said earlier, you don't have to necessarily dress according to a formula. You don't have to have a background according mm-hmm. to a formula. Uh, the uh, A woman who was Teacher of the Year uh, in the United States got elected. I can't remember the state, but she uh, won the primary, that's what I should say, but she she beat somebody, um, and somehow being Teacher of the Year is a wonderful criteria. Uh, people trust you with yeah. that, uh, and I think that's what's so important now, and always has been, is trust. I mean, people, people think that money corrupts the system, and to some extent that it does. Uh, People think, you know, privilege, and they don't want privilege, they don't want old-fashioned Democrats, and I sort of belong in that category, because <laughs> I worked my way up the system from legislature to lieutenant governor to, to governor, um, and then off to become an ambassador. So I, I had to have the experience to, for myself to feel I'm qualified to run for governor and to be an ambassador, but a lot of men haven't done that, and now some women are saying, hey, I, uh, I ran a business, uh, I was teacher of the year, that qualifies me, and <laughs> the people then decide if it really does, or, or if it's refreshing, an advantage. Definitely. I love what you said about someone's life experience matching you know, what their district is looking for, what their audience is looking for. Kind of in that vein, then, who do you think this book is for when you were writing it, thinking about your life experience? Did you have an image of the person who was going to read it and connect with it? Well, at first I thought it would be 
for people of my generation mm -hmm. exclusively. Uh, I've read some of the poetry here at Wake Robin, which is a continuing care community. Um, but then I'm delighted to see that people your age mm -hmm. react to it, and that's just fantastic. So I didn't have it in mind, but um, I'm thrilled that you do respond to it. Yeah, and I, I can't do anything but thank you for writing it, I think because it's a book that's so timely in many ways, but addresses aging in a way that many people my age are not even prepared to think about. Well, you don't have to for a while. Yeah. Was there anything about living at Wake Robin that inspired you to write about aging? Yes. Yes. Well, the downside of living in a continuing care community <laughs> or uh, any kind of community of old people. I still don't like to use that term because mm -hmm. I don't see myself, except when I look in the mirror as, a, <laughs> <laughs> as an old person. But you see, you see people um, with different attitudes towards aging mm -hmm. and some are helpless. You know, they have no choice as to what their attitude is. Mm -hmm. um, they're in, in skilled nursing care with, with some major infirmity. But you also see all the people who are very active. Um, you go into the dining room and you hear a lot of laughter and there's a lot of sociability and a lot of activities. So mm -hmm. that way it was inspiring. Um, and uh, I read some of my poems and they, um, they resonated with the audience. Um, you know, writing poetry is sort of a very private place too, and um, you don't know if you'll be understood or, or, or whether there'll be empathy. And so far I've been very fortunate that I've gotten a, a positive response, but I am a little nervous about the book coming out mm -hmm. <laughs> because it is personal, and I sort of went into an interior phase um, where I really wanted to express things that are often hard to express mm -hmm. and, and be as honest as I could, as I could be. Definitely. So since we've just chatted about poetry, um, I know you have a poem selected that you're interested in reading. Okay. Do you want to just dive right into it? Or, I don't know if we need any context for it. This poem is called No Longer. No longer will we make love before breakfast. No longer will I dream of seeing New Zealand or the Cape of Good Hope or bears in the wild. No longer will I say yes more than no. No longer will danger sparkle and safety look dull. No longer will I look at my body without comparison between who I was and who I have become, blaming the light for the difference. No longer can I toss my hair over my face and count 100 strokes. No longer can I do without night cream and day cream, slathering on ounce after ounce. 
No longer can I be comfortable sitting in my chair reading for hours without getting up to stretch my arms and legs. No longer can I walk without looking down at my feet to avoid mean cracks and malicious bumps. No longer can I skip downstairs like a girl flying without feeling a thing. No longer can I approach the precipice without swaying against my room. No longer do I think ahead of where I will be in 10 years or 20 or more. Now I think in ones or twos or threes, long enough to still hunger for the food of life. No longer do I wish for the next day or the next year to come quickly, like I did the year I turned 10. I want the days to saunter, like a leisurely museum stroller who stops now and then to gaze and get closer to the cameras to see the brush strokes, and then steps back for the longer view before moving on. Thank you so much for reading. That's all right. Do you, it's kind of not even like a very deep question, but do you have a favorite poem in the book? And if so, is that your favorite poem in the book? I think it's the most clear one. It's one of the early ones. Mm-hmm. It gives a really good context, I think, to the writing yeah. of the novel. Yeah. Not the novel, the memoir. Yeah, hopefully, memoir. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's fine. Oh, now you're going to get allergic. Okay, I won't touch my face. <laughs> I'm with the governor's cat, Gina. Um, so, I know you mentioned that you're quite a private person, despite having been in politics. Has your idea of like a public life versus a private life changed as you've transitioned from being governor to ambassador and now to retirement? Yeah, I value my private life, and I always did. Um, you know, I like, there were of course wonderful parts to the public life when mm-hmm. you can have an impact and somebody can come up to you and say, you had an impact on my life, or you changed my life, mm-hmm. or you helped me uh, with the road, or you know, or you helped me get social security. It could mm-hmm. be something small, uh, and uh, I think you have to enjoy the process too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't just judge your effectiveness by tangible results. I mean, I find I did enjoy the political process of compromise and crafting and and working with people who you might otherwise never befriend, mm-hmm. but can be very helpful in what you're trying to accomplish. And I, you know, I don't know if this is possible anymore. So much has changed, but I like campaigning. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the most part, you know, there's some ugly, disturbing parts, but you really get to see a slice of life you don't get to see as an ordinary citizen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, you know, going to a factory and shaking hands and seeing how dull and demanding most factory work is. You do the same thing again and again and again. And you meet a worker who takes a a rag and wipes his greasy hands before he takes your hand. And that just has so much meaning. Uh, And 
sometimes I fear, now I know why people drive snowmobiles, because they're stuck in some of these jobs that are so tedious. Mm -hmm. And of course now there are many more um, websites and you know electronic places of work, but they can be pretty boring too. Yeah. And you just... Uh, Relating to people is a challenge, mm -hmm. and uh, but I, I enjoyed that. Uh, it was a challenge, but whenever I could meet it and make a connection, and understand what their concerns were, I felt enriched. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. The enriched. That's great. Do you feel like with the book coming out, there's going to be a kind of secondary feeling of almost a political life? Not necessarily campaigning, but talking to people about much more personal subjects that you're trying to convey. Yeah, it'll feel book. good if people can connect with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm a little bit anxious. I mean, some may be critical, um, but uh, I guess you just have to accept that. Yeah. Um, some may feel that I've talked too much about myself. Uh, which is the nature of a memoir, I guess. But mm -hmm. you write a memoir also just to understand yourself yeah. um, and try to figure out what made you do certain things and not do other things. So it's sort of a, a self-portrait in a way. Definitely. I, um, the idea of the self-portrait is really interesting. I think, just because you're doing so much reflection throughout the novel. Not the novel, I'd say that again. The memoir. Um, were you finding things out that you didn't even know as you were writing it? Yes. Yes. Um, but I can't describe them. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you, you almost create another self. Because mm -hmm. um, I'm saying that, I'm, I'm wondering, but as I'm a little anxious of how I may have revealed too much of myself, I think, well, that the person in the book is still different from me now. Yeah. I mean, you, you, it's just how you are. It, at a certain split second in time. Mm -hmm. and it's like a photograph, you know, who captures you. But obviously you're you're more complicated, everybody is more complicated than you can put down in words. Mm -hmm. you, you try your best to put yourself down and how you may be viewed and how you view yourself, but it's still a, a momentary description, if, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I think it makes perfect sense. I think people who write about themselves often struggle with that, of presenting the full self or just the memoir self. Yeah. And I think it's further complicated by introducing other people into the story. Mm -hmm. like you write a lot about John and then other folks in your life, yeah. and you're left to kind of interpret them as well. Is that an added challenge for you? Yes. Yes, it is, because uh, I don't want to make the people that are mentioned in the book uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, and I realize they may not see themselves, they probably won't see themselves as I see them, but fortunately John 
read the manuscript, mm -hmm. um, and he didn't ask me to change anything. Great. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of the book early on, or when you're talking about these two red chairs, <laughs> it's like this kind of conflict that you two are having over moving into a new space and introducing such a bright red color. But I also noticed that you have a lot of kind of red accents. Mm -hmm. And I love the passage about the red Prius as well. <laughs> I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on just kind of bringing brightness into your life and how... Well, I just really life. wanted to. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and it, it uh, became evident in the purchases I made. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the red chairs are very red in there. And they're very big. I used to have them here and here. But, uh, yeah, I thought that was a good jumping off place. Um, you know, in my earlier life, I always wanted the, this color and that color uh, and to be neutral and, and calming. And the, the red chairs aren't calming, but they're comfortable. I think they look great. And they look very comfortable. Um, so is that it? Well, I have one final question before we're going to wrap up. Okay. Um, and I think for people who are reading the book, I think a lot of people are going to take inspiration from it. And I wanted to ask you, when you were starting your political life, who inspired you and made you feel like you could do it? Well, the local people. Mm -hmm. um, there was a woman named Esther Sorrell, who was a state senator. And... Uh, I knew her before she ran for office, and she was, you know, dyed-in-the-wool Democrat, mm -hmm. and she had worked on other campaigns, uh, including men who'd run for governor, uh, one by the name of Laro, who was a noted judge, mm -hmm. and uh, she, you know, you walk into her house, first of all, it smelled of smoke, because we all smoked at that time, mm -hmm. but on the dining room table, there were all these checklists, which were the names of the voters. It was all on paper then before before the internet. And she just loved politics and she she uh, loved encouraging people. So she she encouraged me. Later mm -hmm. on she also encouraged Howard Dean. But as we both were looking at each other, uh, at the gatherings we had with some other women, it was the beginning of the feminist movement. Yeah. And she said to me, why don't you run? And I said to her, why don't you run? <laughs> so we both ran, and we supported each other. And she uh, she just was right there, you know, uh, as, as a supporter and encourager. And she, she would applaud you. And as we were all going into this new territory, uh, that was important. And I think on a larger scale, I go back to Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, she she inspired me, and historically, um, some figures uh, did. And you sort of make a patchwork quote of different people at different times um, supporting you. And uh, I don't know where I got the courage to put my name on the ballot. Mm -hmm. uh, oddly enough, we, my family and I spent a year in Switzerland where my first husband had a sabbatical. And 
the Swiss women were campaigning for the right to vote in the mm-hmm. 70s. And I realized they're, they're, they're out there campaigning for the right to vote, so basic. Mm-hmm. And here, I've had the right to vote, and I haven't done anything with it. So in this bizarre kind of way, they inspired me to run for office mm-hmm. in the United States. It does. Thank you so much. Thank you for your questions. They're good questions. Thank you. You have any final thoughts? No, I'm still... I still campaign for more women running for office. I mean, I'm thrilled with this Mm -hmm. outburst of of passion for change and politics. Mm -hmm. But I hope people stick with it. You know, one thing that's not on my resume is that... um, I lost my first campaign for governor mm-hmm. when there was sort of a strange story. Um, the incumbent governor, Dick Snelling, announced he was not seeking another term. Mm-hmm. So I was lieutenant governor at the time. So I became the logical choice. So mm-hmm. I announced my campaign well around January uh, of, of the election year he announced. He changed his mind and he would run again. Yeah. And that was devastating because he was a strong incumbent and I was a newcomer. But I stayed in the race and um, lost, but lost narrowly. Mm-hmm. And there are really two kinds of losses. Either you can be devastated or you can be the almost made it. And I had enough support still to run again the second time. And that was a hard decision, as I'm sure it was hard for Hillary in her campaigns. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm so glad I did it. Uh, I think I didn't want to go down in history as a loser. <laughs> and I wanted to show my children, you can come back. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still good fortune. Well, I shouldn't say that because women especially sometimes attribute their success to luck. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I worked hard, but I was able to uh, get elected. It was a close race, but um, I had enough good people around me to help me meet that goal. Yeah. Gotta try and keep trying, I guess. <laughs> I do. I really hope that the kind of female candidates keep coming out of the woodwork. Yeah more every year yeah no it's it's great news mm-hmm. yeah thank you so much for chatting with me today well good i enjoyed it yeah we are incredibly grateful to our guest governor madeline cunin she can be found at madelinecunin.com or on twitter at madeline cunin coming of age is out now through midpoint distribution and available for sale on IndieBound or through your local independent bookstore Take a Leaf is a project of Green Writers Press, giving voice to writers and artists who will make the world a better place. This episode was recorded and produced by me, Heather McCabe. Music was used courtesy of the Free Music Archive. You can visit us online at takealeaf.org or on Twitter at Leaf Podcast. You can contact Green Writers Press on Twitter at Green Writers Pub. Wishing you the best from Brattleboro, Vermont and Gambier, Ohio. This has been... Take a leaf.